voice of Whiteville. Doesn't that sound exciting to you? Cool 103.9. Welcome to the Columbus Connection, a weekly public affairs program produced in, for, and about Columbus County, North Carolina. Now here's your host, the managing editor of Columbus County News, Jefferson Weaver. Hello everyone, this is Jefferson Weaver with ColumbusCountyNews.com and WTXY, and you're listening to the Columbus Connection. Considering we're in one of the driest times of the year, it seems like a strange time to be talking about hurricane season. I'd submit that this is actually the best time to do so. Need to go ahead and start making your plans now in case we do have something bad that happens this year. Now, there are folks out there who complain that not enough is done to create jobs in our area. They occasionally make some valid points, but remember, it's not government's responsibility to create jobs. It's government's job to provide for the common welfare and the safety of the community and stay out of the way. At the same time, the common welfare includes protections against natural disasters. I would argue that stormwater improvements, just like water and sewer projects, can play a role in job creation, and those are the responsibility of those entrusted with tax dollars. Industry has changed dramatically since the good old days with textile mills with a thousand well-paid employees under one roof, but some of the basic infrastructure needs in North Carolina haven't changed. Industries need water and sewer. In southeastern North Carolina, they often want stormwater drainage too. Wifel City Council next week will be considering a grant from the Golden Leaf to fund stormwater improvements starting on the west side of the city. Unlike downtown, which is largely recovered, you can still see the effects of Matthew and Florence on the west side. All you have to do is drive down Virgil Street and you can see what happens when there's more water than there is drainage. We're not by any means discounting the damage to Powell Woods and the agribusinesses out there on Virgil, of course, but the loss of a home, even a rental home, has a profound impact on a family, and by extension, the community. Never mind the financial effects it can have on that one family. Losing homes in any community means people have to move. Sometimes they have to move far away, find new jobs, and start over again. That means fewer workers for everything from retail to manufacturing, which in turn means less revenue for both business and local government. People need a place to live. Lower-income people can't always be as choosy as those who have higher-paying jobs, and they need affordable housing that is safe, sanitary, and allows a good steward to plan for the future when a family can own its own home. Affordable housing is a stepping stone to eventual home ownership for many people. At the same time, there's entirely too many government incentives to building yet another cookie-cutter apartment complex that's paid for in part through Section 8 funds and too quickly turns bad. The financing is too attractive to turn down, and besides, some lenders require a developer to follow Section 8 guidelines before they'll approve a loan, because that way they can ensure that there's sufficient revenue. Good stormwater drainage, among other things, will incentivize good development, including affordable housing for the people who work for a living. Improvements to drainage will directly impact business as well. It's hard to convince people to invest in business districts when everyone remembers the photos of four feet of water on the sides of some buildings. If we can keep that water from going through here, it'll help. Stormwater has to go somewhere, of course. That's why we hope the county will continue to aggressively pursue drainage improvement projects that benefit the entire county, not just one or two communities. Now, we've all heard of one or two elected officials, past and present, who ask for additional special work in their communities. 
One in particular was given a pass when he said he didn't care as much about the people downstream from his district as long as he could get the water off his neighbors. Read that off of the property of folks who vote for him. Now, there have been city officials in the past who suffered from the same short-sightedness, not just here in Whiteville and Columbus County either. It's a common problem. Whether or not we have another monster hurricane or flood in the future is not worth debating. It's going to happen, y'all. We're in a natural cycle, global warming hysteria or not. That involves significantly more rain in some years, often when there's no room for it in the ditches, canals, creeks, swamps, and streams that feed the Waccamaw, Cape Fear, and the Lumber. Shoot, as we saw the summer before Matthew, a microcell can cause as much damage as a small hurricane when it comes to overwhelming rain. Y'all remember when those eight inches of water was flowing down the street in the middle of summer? Now, when that water comes down from the heavens, it has to go somewhere. Water from Chadburn eventually makes its way all the way to the Lumber or the Waccamaw. Water from Whiteville, Western Prong, and Lake Waccamaw go to Nakana, Old Dock, and Crusoe. Water from St. James, Buckhead, and Sandyfield has to flow through Acme, Delco, and Regalwood before it enters the Cape Fear River. We hope to see more coordination between municipal and county governments when it comes to stormwater projects. It doesn't need to be an us-versus-them situation. We don't need to have more towns in our county bulldozing retail space and homes because of poor stormwater planning. Look at the impact that Matthew and Florence had on Fair Bluff. Now that town sadly replaced Seven Springs as North Carolina's poster child for flood damage. Every business that rebuilt in Fair Bluff after Matthew was damaged again in Florence, in some cases critically. They've never reopened. They never will. They went elsewhere and took those jobs. They took those tax revenues. They took those opportunities with them. Small towns can't afford multiple big hits from weather events. Thankfully, Fair Bluff does have some big things that are not just on the menu, but actually cooking in the kitchen. We look forward to seeing new and even better things for the river town. Now, towns provide dramatic images when it comes to floodwaters, but remember, it's the rural residents who often suffer the most. Crusoe and Old Dock, Nakana, and other areas catch the water that flows downstream. The homes, churches, businesses, and lives of folks who live in rural communities are just as important as those who live upstream in the town. They, too, work for what they have, in most cases. Sometimes the same property has been in one family for generations. It's easy for someone on dry ground to say, why don't they just move? Indeed, and sometimes folks do move. Look at my former home community of Kelly in Bladen County. It lost 60% of its residents when the dike along the Cape Fear River failed. 60%, folks. Three and four generations of family histories were wiped away. Farmland is now not being used. Trees are not being maintained. That migration has caused problems ranging from a loss of property tax revenues to fewer sales at the community store to drastically lowered church attendance and schools. And that didn't work either. That migration has caused problems ranging from a loss of property tax revenue to fewer sales at the community store to drastically lowered church and school attendance. For some folks, it was the only option, and moving was understandable. But there are empty homes in Crusoe, Old Dock, Nakana, even Hallsboro, where people gave up, often because they had no choice. Every time we lose a home, every time we lose a family, we lose part of our community. We can't stop the rains, nor would we want to. However, we can't be completely prepared for every flood or natural disaster, but we can sure try. That's what the city is doing. They're not just working on the problems with flooding. Weibel is working on the future of the community. 
We'll be right back with more of the Columbus Connection. If you served in the Marine Corps, by now you know about the contaminated water problem at Camp Lejeune. If you were stationed or worked at Camp Lejeune from 1953 to 1987, you probably have a lot of questions. We have some answers. You could be entitled to compensation. Billions of dollars are being allocated to pay for damages to anyone stationed at Camp Lejeune during that time. Unfortunately, it appears that officials may have known the contaminated water problem existed and did little to protect their men. The Semper Fi Code was not honored. If you or someone in your family has developed a serious illness, including various forms of cancer, call this Camp Lejeune legal support line right now. You can't turn back the clock and change what happened, but you can certainly call right now and learn your rights as a Marine. Here's the number. 800-741-5819. 800-741-5819. That's 800-741-5819. Paid for by Legal Alert Line. And welcome back to the Columbus Connection, folks. This is Jefferson Weaver. It's always amusing and sometimes infuriating to see the hypocrisy that oozes out of Raleigh sometimes, like rancid honey. The Republicans, and more importantly, conservatives, have a slim majority in both houses of the legislature. It's opened a door that's giving Governor Roy Cooper conniption fits, namely that of seeing his vetoes overridden. The governor has been hitting email hard in the last couple of weeks, and several Democrats have crossed the aisle to stand by their conservative counterparts. Now that's how a democratically elected representative republic is supposed to work, although Cooper sometimes seems to forget that the will of the people trumps his own feelings. A good example is the state's voter ID law. Now, you may remember that was voted in by the voters of North Carolina as a constitutional amendment. It was tweaked by the General Assembly. Then it was struck down by the state Supreme Court, which was controlled by Governor Roy Cooper at that time. Now, it should be interesting to see how the new Republican-dominated state Supreme Court handles the voter ID issue. They're taking it up next month. Will they fall prey to the temptation of towing the party line? Now, that would make them as bad as their predecessors. Or will they actually look at the constitutional amendment that was approved by the voters and adjusted by the General Assembly, then balance that against the complaints and determine the proper course? Another big-ticket bill that sailed through both houses would be a major step towards righting a century-old wrong in North Carolina that it won't even get cold on the governor's desk before it's vetoed, largely because it doesn't fit his personal agenda or that of his handlers at the Democrat National Committee. North Carolina has required a handgun purchase permit for decades. It seems like an innocuous, old-fashioned, irritating little way for local sheriffs to make a few dollars, but the roots behind the permit law are far darker than that. The permit law was originally passed to prevent African Americans from purchasing handguns back in the Jim Crow days. At that time, the Ku Klux Klan was enjoying a resurgence, and supremacists controlled Raleigh. In theory, anyone of any color who is not of good character would not be allowed to own a firearm, much less a concealable firearm. In practice, however, the permits were used for decades as an excuse to deny black Americans their Second Amendment rights. Once upon a time, the sheriff of any county 
would have been the best source for criminal backgrounds on individuals. Technology has changed enough by even the early 1970s that such information was available for anyone. At the same time, some sheriffs in North Carolina and elsewhere still used pistol permits as a political carrot or stick, depending on how you were registered or expected to vote. Several lawsuits later, North Carolina became a must-issue state. That means that an applicant must receive a permit within a timely manner unless an individual has a domestic violence case, has a felony conviction or other violation as defined by law, or is undergoing mental health care. It is now really little more than a headache producer for the already overworked staff at any sheriff's office, especially when you consider the fact that they use the same criminal records computer used by the federal government when a customer applies to purchase a firearm. That's right. The exact same computer records get checked twice at the sheriff's office and at the gun store. Now, the last time this bill went through the General Assembly, it didn't have the backing to make it to law. Considering that Cooper has doubled down on his anti-gun stance, again at the behest of the same crowd pushing CRTs, sex-ed for six-year-olds, and tearing down statues, an override of the veto is North Carolina's best hope for removal of this antiquated law that was founded in racism and doesn't work anyway. Contrary to what the anti-gun crowd says, North Carolina's proposed law would not lower the age from 21 for handgun purchases. It would not enable felons to walk into a store, plop down some cash, and go hold up a convenience store or shoot up a school. It does include earmarks for gun safety education, as well as clarifying rules on when concealed handguns can be carried. But Cooper has already said that, education and racist history aside, he is not going to make it easier for criminals to access firearms. That being said, I haven't heard of his plans to add teeth to enforcing the laws about felons in possession of guns. Currently, that charge gets negotiated away or dropped unless the suspect is in federal custody. Cooper has summarily refused harsher penalties for criminals who use firearms to commit violent crimes. He says those rules, those laws are racist. And there are whispers from the state capitol that in his anti-gun craziness, Cooper even wants to do away with the youth hunter safety programs through the Wildlife Resources Commission, since that nationally recognized and time-proven safety program gives teenagers and children access to firearms, not to mention the fact it gives them safe training in firearms. For the most part, gun laws only punish law-abiding gun owners. Criminals, by their very nature, don't take laws very seriously, elsewise they wouldn't be criminals. If Cooper listens to his bosses at the national level in hopes of moving on to higher office, hopefully North Carolina's General Assembly will listen to the thousands of voters here at home who want to see our state move forward on everything, not just the Second Amendment. Of course, Cooper really doesn't care what he does now, since it's, unless it supports the DNC, so he can be rewarded for being a good lapdog. The voters who live here don't really matter that much to the governor anymore. If Cooper can support removing monuments and statues of Confederate soldiers for being racist, as he claims, then he can sign a bill that actually does something to erase some of the racist mistakes made by past generations. However, we really don't see that happening, and for that reason, we're thankful for the override. Thanks for joining us for the Columbus Connection commentary this week. Dissenting opinions are not only welcome, they're encouraged. Shoot, I'll even buy you lunch. We want everyone to have the opportunity to express their opinion, and we can still be friends and neighbors at the end of the day. We'll have an in-studio guest back next Saturday. But for right now, this is Jefferson Weaver with WTXY and ColumbusCountyNews.com. Have a great week.
This has been the Columbus Connection with Jefferson Weaver. If you have a story that you want to share with us or a comment on a previous program, you can email us at columbusconnection at columbuscountynews.com. The Columbus Connection is produced by Jones Media Partners, and the program is recorded live at the WTXY Studios in downtown Whiteville, North Carolina. Our in-studio producer is Daryl Jackson. Be sure to join us next week for another edition of the Columbus Connection. Thanks for listening. Follow Cool FM on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Cool 103.9 FM.